guide out on the golf course, whatever. Um, you know, that would be nice if that was the case. If God says, you know what, on a day like today, don't bother coming to church because it's so beautiful out there. I think that would be that would be swell. You know, uh, last week uh, I was talking to Todd and Melissa in the foyer about going fishing. And I told him that I had this fishing pole as a button pushing fishing pole because I'm a very simple minded fisherman. I can't handle the open reel. I just use the button thing and well the button broke. It fell off and so I'm sticking my thumb in there to make this thing work and the very first time I cast it through <laughs> I did a mouth. <laughs> Thankfully we got it back, the bobber floated and we got it back. But oh, anyway, the point was I, I just kept fishing the rest of this day with this fishing pole. And uh, Todd and Melissa decided, you know what, Josh is pathetic, he needs a real fishing pole. So they bought us fishing poles and so Tuesday we spent the afternoon with Todd fishing and with our, our family and Todd we caught like 40 fish on Baker Lake we just we let them all go there was perch and there was walleye and it was great fun and um, if God didn't care where I went on Sunday morning if God didn't care if I was ever in church guess where I would be I've just, I've never fished in my whole life until about three weeks ago or four weeks ago, and now I go fishing all the time. If God didn't care where I was at on Sunday morning, that's where you would find me, is I would be out fishing. Um, you know, the hiker would be out in the mountain every Sunday. The guy, the golfer would be out on the green every Sunday. The, the guy who likes to walk around would be on the trails every Sundays. But truth be told, God cares an awful lot about where his people are, uh, more than people think, about making sure that we gather for a time of worship, a time of being in a, how much he cares about his building too, the church. And I know, uh, I've, I've heard it said, and there's lots of discussions about we are the church, you know, it's not just a building. Even the, the comic I put in the back of the, the bulletin, you have this guy who looks like he's speaking to a huge crowd of people, and he's saying the church is, uh, is not wood and nails. It's made of the people who gather in God's name, right? And that's true. It's the people of the church. But today we, we're going to look and see, you know what? God cares a lot about the place of worship that we come to as well. And I feel like we as a church are trying to show that. We're trying to take care of God's building. And I feel like it's just a good time to say good job let's keep going uh, before we do let's pray and, and ask god's blessing on the rest of this this time thank you god for your word god i thank you that there's stuff in here for every stage in every area of life that we need to to learn that we can learn from and that's applicable god i just i praise you for that god i pray that as as i share what you've laid in my heart that god only what you want to be heard would be heard anything corny or if i stutter while i talk or anything about it that doesn't come out exactly right i pray that nobody would hear that that we would just translate that to our ears so that we hear what we're supposed to hear Please help me to speak clearly and accurately, and, and may you be blessed by it. And may we be encouraged uh, to do a good job in taking care of this church that you gave us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you would like to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to go to the Old Testament book of Ezra. And if you're not familiar where Ezra is at, I'm going to make it easy for you. You open your Bible to the middle, and you hang a left, which for you guys I think is this is that direction, but you hang a left and you will come across this small little book of Ezra. And as you do, I, I want to just give you a little history of Israel. This is very, very brief. You know, when uh, the first king of Israel was Saul, and he ruled the 12 tribes of Israel, after him was the guy we all know and love, King David. After King David was Solomon. And that's when all the 12 tribes were united, and that was the last time. 
when Solomon died, it split. You split to the northern kingdom and you split to the southern kingdom, and they haven't been united really in the same way ever since. Um, you know, what happened was uh, to Israel, the northern tribe, was Assyria came over and destroyed Israel and hauled off everybody that they didn't kill and they hauled them back to Assyria. Well, Assyria was a powerhouse at that time and decided, I'm going to go take out Babylon as well. And they were knocking on the door, ready to take them out. They, they sent threats to, Bab or to uh, Judah, the southern tribe. They sent threats and said, hey, here's what we're going to do if you don't surrender. Well, that night an angel of the Lord went into their camps and killed 185,000 Assyrians. So they went home and and that's who's surviving at this point in Scripture, is the people of Judah, the southern tribe of Israel. Well, Babylon became the next powerhouse and decided it was going to take over Jerusalem. It's going to take over the southern tribe of Judah, which it did. And it was prophesied that they were going to haul them off for 70 years. And so and that's where you get Jeremiah 29, 11, where I know the plans I have for you. He says, here you guys, you're in Babylon for 70 years. Make the best of it. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and just live there because that's where you're going to stay. Well, we're going to pick this all up at the end of that 70 years. And we're going to look, first of all, at the call to take care of God's house. Okay, so here's my fish story I, I forgot to bring up. These, these fish I caught a couple weeks prior, this, uh, these rainbow trout, you know, and catching fish like that. And guess what I want to do? I want to go fishing every day because I want to catch those, even though I've only caught two. Anyway, so we're going to look at, first of all, at the call to take care of God's house. Uh, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, who, who had taken over Babylon, and then, uh, of course, the people of Israel or Judah were still there. And he says, in, the, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. This is what King... The king of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and may build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, with freewill offerings for the temple of the God of Jerusalem. So this is this take this call to take care of God's house. It starts out with a fulfillment of prophecy because in Jeremiah chapter 25, 11, before they went into captivity. He's, he's telling the people, look, this is where you guys are headed. You are going to serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So that's where it's saying, uh, according to this word spoken by Jeremiah, that was fulfilled. But there's so much more to this because King Cyrus has a huge part in this. Uh, before uh, Cyrus ever chose to do this, you find in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, this is what the Lord says through Isaiah the prophet. He will save Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let the foundations be laid. And it's talking about Cyrus saying, hey, I'm, this is what God's saying, this is what I want Cyrus to do. He He's going to make a proclamation that these people can go back to Jerusalem and build their temple. And again in Isaiah verses 45, or chapter 45, verse 13 says, He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. So according to prophecy, this is taking place. Cyrus is saying, hey, look, everybody who's in Babylon who wants to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord, you're free to go. 
And so there's a list of people, or there's a number of people who went, not as many who should have gone, but that's how it started. The call to prepare the, rebuild the temple started with a fulfillment of prophecy. But it was possible, first of all, because of willing workers. Ezra chapter 1 verse 3 says, Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. So any of you who, want, who are with me, who are a part of Babylon right now, that want to go, can go. So all the willing workers went. Why did they go back to Jerusalem? Because they wanted to rebuild the temple of the Lord. It says, verse one, uh, verses 5 through 6, it says, Then the family heads of Judah, and the Benjamin, and the priests, and the Levites, everyone whose heart, of God, whose heart God had moved, prepared to go and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. Why were they going to Jerusalem? Because they were willing workers, and they wanted to rebuild the temple. And then in Ezra chapter 2, you find a great big list of people who went. Uh, we're not going to go through all their names, but I want to capitalize on the last uh, 60, chapter 2, verses 64 to 65. It says the whole company numbered 42,360 people. That's how many willing workers that there were to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But that's not the only thing it took to rebuild the temple. It also took willing donors. Ezra chapter 1 verse 4. King Cyrus says, And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and livestock. He says, look, everybody who chose not to go back to Jerusalem, I want you to help provide them with whatever they need so that when they get there, they can start rebuilding the temple of the Lord. That was gold. That was silver. That was livestock. That was servants. That was supplies. Whatever you need in order to rebuild this temple, I want you to send with those people. So that was possible because of willing workers, but it's possible because of willing donors. But there's somebody else who gets involved in this. It's not just the people of Jerusalem who go, or of the Israelites who go back to Jerusalem. King Cyrus gets involved too. Ezra chapter 1 verse 7. It says, Moreover, King Cyrus brought the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem. So Nebuchadnezzar, when he went to Jerusalem, he hauled off tons of gold, gobs and gobs of it. And Cyrus says, I want you guys to take some of that back in order to build this temple. Verse 11 says, In all, there were 5,400 articles of gold and silver that went back with the people to rebuild the temple. So this is all possible because the prophecy was being fulfilled because people were being willing workers people were being willing donors but then it gets even better because you find that uh, in chapter 2 verses 68 and 69 that there were willing workers and willing donors because when they got back to Jerusalem the people said hey we're going to work here but we also want to play a part in uh, financing this so that this can really be done right and it can be done well Pretty exciting for the temple of the Lord. And the project starts out really well. Anybody wants to go back? You want to build the temple of the Lord? Go. We will finance your trip. We will help you have everything you need. And all the people who went were excited. Everybody who saw them go waved goodbye and were excited to send their stuff with them. The temple of God was taken care of back thousands of years ago. Guess what God wants for his church today? He wants the church of God to be taken care of today as well. Now, obviously, the, the biggest thing that we are doing in our church right now to take care of it is the new windows. You know, we've already voted. The check was turned in on Tuesday uh, to, to seal the deal. 
and in like five or six weeks, I think, is when Sean's going to start working on it. But I just it just makes me excited to say, hey, we are doing this. We are taking care of the church of God. You know, because the church of God is just, it's a building, right? This is just a building. It has four sides. It has a roof, but it can't do anything. If In order for the church to, to, to function, in order for it to have new windows replaced, somebody has to be a willing worker, which obviously is not us because we're paying somebody to do that. But somebody has to be a willing donor. People have to donate their finances in order for this to work. Uh, in order for our church to, to be taken care of for this, the the parking lot to get plowed every winter, for the weeds to get sprayed, for the light bulbs to get changed. Somebody has to be a willing worker, but some, some people are like, I can't do that anymore, so I'm a willing donor. And some people say, hey, I can do both. But our church is doing this, and it's very, very exciting. You know, and we want our church to do this, to take care of the windows. Why? Is it because we're trying to impress everybody else in town? I don't think so. That wasn't, that's not my goal in getting the windows. You know, for one, I want to be a good steward like a lot of people in this church do, right? We, we, we have our propane tanks. We heat this place. Thankfully, we have air conditioning in this place, right? We don't want that all going right out the window and it's a waste of finances. So we want to take care of, uh, be good stewards of the resources that we have. But also we want to take care of this church because this is God's church, we serve a mighty and an awesome and a loving God. We come here every Sunday to worship. We come here every Sunday to, to hear me or somebody get up to share God's word, to fellowship with each other, like the, the five practices of the early church. We come here as a very special place. And we're going to look at a little bit later about how much God values that. We're just starting here to say, you know what? We have a church. We only have a church because people are here who are taking care of it. And it's not... A bad church. It's not like the Chicken Bone Church. Anybody here ever hear of the Chicken Bone Church? Leslie has. Uh, she reminded me about it. But it's a church that my dad either had heard about or that he went to. And he said in the in the pew, you know, you're sitting down for church, and in the front in the pew, guess what he found? Chicken bones. Because this wasn't a church that was well taken care of. I don't know if it was in the front little thing where you put books or if it was on the seat. But it was like, that church is not a church that's well taken care of. That's not a good example of a church. It doesn't make God happy. It doesn't make people who come as visitors happy. They don't want to go to a church like that. But we want to take care of God's church because it is God's church. We serve the true and living God. We should give this, make this the best place that we could be. Well, the people got to Jerusalem very excited. They, they were, they were gung ho. We're going to do this. But after a short time, after the building of the temple floor, something happened. All of a sudden, they came to a standstill. I call it the, the stall to take care of, the, of God's house. They had the call to go and do it. And now they have the stall, which is keeping them from doing this. Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, they came, and it says in the next couple of verses, they said, Hey, let's help you. We're your enemies, but we want to help you do this. And the, the leaders said, No, you're not gonna, we're not going to let you do this. You have no part with us in this. We're doing this for our God. Well, so then these people were told they couldn't help, and so they, they, they started becoming the enemies that they were. It says in the... Um, 
It says in verse 4, Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They bribed the officials to work against them, and they frustrated their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of King, of king Darius, of Darius, king of Persia. So they're building this temple floor. They're struggling to get through this. And the enemy is saying, hey, we want to help you. Now we're going to try to discourage you. And that doesn't stop them. So they said, okay, we're going to go higher up. And they write a letter to the king, Artaxerxes, who's next in line after King Cyrus, and says, hey, why don't you check the records? These people have a history of, of causing problems. And so ultimately, the king writes back in and, and verses 4, uh, 4, 20, chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. It says, as soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read, it says, the secret and to the secretary, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them to stop by force. You guys have to stop and we're going to hurt you if you don't. Then it says in verse 24, the work of the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. So these people were building the temple floor. Everything was great. Everything, everybody's excited. Everybody's donated all sorts of things. People have bought supplies and then they stop. Why did they stop? Well, the first reason that they stopped was out of fear. Right? The authorities above them are telling them that you have to stop. They had permission from a king who says, hey, you guys got to do this. Anybody who wants to go can go do this. But then out of fear of, of conflict, they said, okay, we're not going to do this anymore. The king says we shouldn't. Who cares what God says? The king says we shouldn't do this. And so we're going to stop. It's tough to go against authority. The government says don't do something. And these people were like, okay, you're going to hurt us if we do. We are going to stop doing this. But their second reason that they chose to, to stop or, or be content with stopping was because of life. And we're going to look at Haggai in the book of Haggai a little bit. But it says in the meantime, for the next 16 years, they built their own houses. They planted their own fields. They raised their own families. For 16 years, they just lived life and said, well, I guess that's as far as we're going to get. We're going to get the temple floor. I guess God's happy with that. I don't know, but they didn't care. They didn't, they didn't write letters to the king. They didn't fight for what they wanted. They just surrendered and said, okay, it's easier not to have people mad against us. It's, it's easier for us to um, just stop and live my own life. And so they were content to do that. And that's, and it's up until chapter 5 that these people do this. In chapter 5, we'll see that um, a couple prophets come and talk to them about, hey, we got to get going on this. We've got to get this done. God takes this work seriously. But in a lot of churches around the world, there's churches come to a stall. They come to a standstill. You know, I, I want you to listen very carefully to this quote. And I want you to never, ever say it about church. And I don't think anybody here will, but somebody did say it. Uh, but it's a very sad quote. It said, when a guy got done working on a project at the church, and somebody questioned him about his quality of work, he says, it's good enough for who it's for. Think about that. It's good enough for who it's for. And I don't know what the guy meant by who it's for, but obviously whatever he's doing at church is for the Lord. I mean, the Bible talks about whatever you do, do it as working for the Lord. So you better, better well be taking care of God's house is for the Lord. But people don't do it because uh, they're, they have lack of concern about the church building. 
Yep, we have problems. Yep, there's chicken pew, chicken bones in the pews. Yeah, it's not really that big, big a deal. There's problems with the church, and someone else can take care of it. I don't really care. It's, it's not that big a deal. It's not that important. And so a lot of churches suffer because the people just don't really care about it. They don't see the value in it as, as what God sees the value in. But another reason why people don't take care of the church today, all around the world, is because people have busy lives. You know, I'm too busy living my own life. I have my sports, I have my hobbies, I have my work, I have my family events, I have my own stuff that I'm doing, and you can have stuff going 365 days out of the year, 52 weeks a year, to where nobody has any time to take care of the church building. And some places, it works that way. Now, I'm not against sports. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of some sports, but Caleb plays sports. He plays basketball. We go to basketball games, so obviously I'm not, I can't say that's bad. Uh, people have hobbies. I like to go fishing, right? I caught those two monster fish. Mostly it's something small, but I like to go fishing. We all understand work schedules. You know, some of you work, uh, I know Todd works every other weekend at where, where exactly he works. I know that some people are on call like Steve, and you can't always be here and um you know, there's, there's seasons of the year where people are calving. There's just all sorts of things. So it's like I get life. I get people having family time. I get people having vacations and having their own stuff to take care of. But there's a, there's a point where the American church has to be careful not to let everything, anything and everything keep it from taking care of the church, of the people, of the building, because it can't take care of itself. We looked at in Sunday school in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. It talks about the, the, the parable of the sowers. The third sower was the one that was planted among the thorns. And it says the things of this world, the worries of this world, the things of this world were so important that that person absolutely nothing for the Lord. And it says that this deceitfulness of wealth kept it from being productive, from pr producing any fruit. And the, world, the church today has to be careful to make sure that, yes, I enjoy my sports and my family and my hobbies, but I also have to make a time for God's house as well. Now, I might feel like I'm saying that because I work here, because I get paid to come. I just walk next door. You know, I need somebody to talk to you on, on Sunday mornings. You know, I look at the YouTube uh, video replays, you know, and this week, last week actually had 14. Normally there's like one or two or three. Noah's always teasing me because with his videos, he has, he has like 95 subscribers and he has like 100 views and he's like, hey, dad, look what you have. <laughs> So I need somebody to talk to, right? But this isn't about me. This isn't about Josh having someone to talk to or about having Josh, his ego being stroked or anything. You know, this is about God and about his people and his church. And God cares more than we do about the places of worship. And we're going to look at how seriously God took his temple and making sure that it was completed and taken care of. Uh, Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 it says now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet a descendant of Ido prophesied to the Jews and Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them now if you take your if you go a little bit farther in the Old Testament you find the book of Haggai which we'll turn to in a minute but there's also Zechariah you can kind of take those and set those right here to say this is how this fits in what Haggai writes in the book of Haggai is exactly what these people need to hear what is going on? Uh, let me turn there. Haggai chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. 
It says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. These people have waited 16 years, and they say, you know what, it's still not time to rebuild the temple of the Lord. I don't know what they were doing. I mean, obviously they had their own lives, their own houses, their own families. Uh, I think they had a temple set up, like on the, or they had an altar set up. But as far as like anything else that functioned part of the temple, they did not do, and they were content with. They were happy not to do those things. And they're saying... It's not time to do that yet. 16 years, oh, only 16 years of not going to the temple, doing these things. It really doesn't matter. And God responds to that. It says the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Okay, it is time. He says that um, go up into the mountains and bring down timbers and build houses or to build the house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He says these guys are looking at this like this is no big deal that my temple is not finished. He's saying it is a big deal. I want to take pleasure. I want to be honored in that temple. Go tell these people they better get their act in line and start doing that. He's pointing out what's wrong with this picture and that he does indeed care about this. And it gets to the point where God says, you know what? There are going to be negative, there are negative consequences that these people are facing because they did not do that. Uh, we find here in Haggai chapter 1 verses 7 uh, and through 11. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Here's the negative part. He says, you guys expected much. When you planted your gardens and your fields, you expected much. Uh, but it turned out to be little. What, uh, what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. You guys aren't taking care of my house. You're only taking care of yours. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth is crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else in the ground that it produced, on people and livestock, and all the labor of your hands. He's telling these people, look, this is a very serious thing. You guys did not rebuild my temple. You guys were only content with your own life. And so there's a punishment here. You guys are not reaping what you should be reaping. You're not getting rain like you should be getting. You guys are not flourishing like you should be flourishing because you are not putting me first. But then we find out that at the end of Haggai, they get, they get the temple built. They get all of life squared away. And it says in verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Now give careful thought to this, uh, to this from this day on. Consider how things were before. One stone was laid on the other in the Lord's temple. Before you guys got going, he says, When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When, uh, when you went to draw out of the wine vat 50 measures, there was only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hill, yet you did not return to me. So because these people were rejecting what the Lord wanted them to do, there was punishment. They didn't realize it, but that's what was going on. Then he says, from this day on, verse 18, 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day. 
when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, and the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not borne fruit. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. So God, we, the world looks at the, God's view of the church or the temple, anything like that, like it's not that big a deal. I don't have to come into the church. I don't have to take care of the church. It's just a building. But God was so serious about his place of worship that he says, you guys are going to be punished for not doing this, but I will bless you if you guys, in fact, do this. And sometimes the church in America needs a reminder today. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that God is going to cause it to rain because we're getting new windows. Or that God's going to pour out all sorts of blessings on us and make the crops grow when the, the, the cows triple their, their harvest or anything like that. Because God didn't write that specifically to us. We are not those people. Um, God didn't send me a prophet to say, hey, if you take care of this church and fix whatever you need to fix, that you're going to be blessed beyond belief. But you never know. Maybe if, if we, as we are taking care of our windows, we are going to have visitors. Maybe if we take care of everything else, the people are going to see that there's a difference. And God will just cause blessings in our life personally and because in this church because we chose to do this. I, I can't guarantee that. I don't know. But what I do know is that God is more pleased with the church that's well taken care of. You know, there's churches out there that, that have the broken windows, that have the, the, the lawn that's not kept, that has like it, the chicken bone church out there. They are out there. People who see a church that looks run down or a church that's nice, people are more willing to walk into a church that looks nice, that looks like people are taken care of. It is a better testimony for you and I of, of the God we serve if we take care of our church. We're saying the God we worship in here is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of us taking care of this building. God will be pleased and he deserves us to take care of his house. And I'm just, I wanted to bring that up because I'm excited. I'm excited that we are doing that. Um, the windows need to be replaced. We as a church didn't say, boy, 20,000 bucks, that's too much. You know, we're just going to have to just wait. We said, you know what? We're going to vote on this. We are going to make this happen. And it's just, it's a kudos to you. It's an exciting thing. It's something that our church needed. And I think God is blessed by it. The church is more than just the building, I realize. It's the people in the building. But God gave us this church uh, to, to be a part of as a church family. You know, when we were going through Acts chapter 2, we looked at the five practices of the early church. You know, we, list, we look, uh, looked at paying attention to the preaching of the word. Where was that happening? It was happening in the temple. You know, in our church, we have the preaching of the word. We have the teaching of the word in our Sunday school classes. We have Bible study. We have Awana. There's a great value in being in this building. We have the uh, participation in the church body. You know, I, I, I told you about Leslie and I and Marcy standing in the back, praying together, talking together. I don't see Marcy any other day of the week except if I go to visit at Superior Care. But at that kind of place, it's not going to be convenient to say, hey, let's share life together. Let's pray about this. This is something that was special at the church. There is value. It can happen there and here, but it also happens here. Partace, um, prayer. Obviously, that happens out there, but it happens in here. We pray collectively for each other. Um, part participation 
um, or partaking of bread together. We're sharing the Lord's Supper. There is an awful lot that happens inside a church building. It's more than just a place I have to go to every Sunday. There's a family. There's a fellowship. There's stuff that God wants us to teach. There's passing it along to other people. Not just so they, they can know about God and go about living their life, however, so that they can become a part of the church, so that they can do these same things that we are doing, so that they can hear the gospel as well. Uh, there's other verses in the Bible that talk about the importance of church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Right? I picked this church. That's not going to look that way pretty soon. Because it's going to get new windows, we're going to have to update that. But it's a cool church picture. Why not use ours? But there's, there's a call to do that in the book of Hebrews. We need to get together in this church building and worship the Lord. But as much as, as God has cared about the temple in Jerusalem, as much as I feel like God cares about this building that we are worshiping in, that you guys came to today, God cares about you. Because if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Your body is a temple. Your body is the house of the Lord. And I, I want to finish this up with saying, take care of that as well. God wanted that temple built and perfect and taken care of. God wants our building place where we meet to worship Him to be taken care of. But God wants your body. It's the temple of the Lord to be taken care of. But only if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior do you have that Holy Spirit living in you. If, if you haven't, then your body's not a temple for the Lord. It's a temple for yourself. It's a temple for evil and wicked things. But if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. He lives there and He dwells there. And it's a guarantee that you are going to have eternal life. Now we think about our bodies being a temple of the Holy of the of the Holy Spirit, and we think about people make jokes about that about how you eat because your body is a temple of the of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to tie that in with a little bit more. You know, if, if my if my belly is getting fat, if you know it's getting full, and uh, and I'm sitting there at the table, um, I might have to cut it out, right? If something's not good for me, it's not good to eat all the sweets. I'm going to have to cut it out completely. I say, I'm not going to eat that. Well, I'm still sitting there. And my wife says, here, have some more of this. It's this great big cake. I might have to run away from it because I love sweets, right? I will eat it if it's in front of me. I have to run away. I can't just sit there and think, um, I got willpower. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat that. I have to run. And I might have to add something in. I might have to add exercise in. Eww. I might have to add veggies into my diet. No, thank you. Taking care of my physical body, that's how you have to do it. Taking care of your spiritual body is the same way. There might be something in your life that you have to cut out, and it's going to hurt. Uh, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, get rid of it. Ouch. Right? It's going to hurt. But your, your, your body's a temple. You know, if we have wicked things in our church, this building here, we need to get rid of it. If we got some false Bible study material, we can't just leave it in here and say, well, it's no big deal. We have to get rid of it. The temple that the Jews were worshiping in. If they're worshiping God, but there's also worshiping Baal in that temple, they've got to get rid of it. Your body is a temple. You've got to take it seriously. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You can't have light and darkness together. You've got to get rid of the wicked in your life. So cut it out. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says to flee. Right? This is me getting up from the table. I can't stand that cake. I'm supposed to flee the desires of my youth. I can't just toy with it. I can't leave it there and think, wow, it's no big deal. I've got to run away from it. But then what's you running to? You know, Nicole brought up about praying in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, about give God your, your prayers and then pursue something else. Um, I can't remember what those things are, but you're pursuing good things. When you're worried about something, give God your concern and then pursue something else. I'm dealing with sin and temptation in my life. I flee it. And then it says pursue, chase after, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You can do that in a church. You can do that in your home. But you get the idea. My body is a temple. I've got to keep it clean. My goal is to make it perfect. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. So the two things that I want you to remember today. The conclusion. The two parts. Is first of all, take care of God's church. Right, take care of this building. We are doing that by getting new windows. We're showing God that we love Him. We're showing the world that we're taking God seriously. You know, we have people who change light bulbs. We have people who keep the parking lot clean. We have the decorating committee. It's always pretty in here, right? Because people see value in taking care of God's house. So do take, number one, do that. But number two is remember that your body is a temple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you, so take care of that as well. You want to eat healthy? Go for it, okay? But make sure that spiritually your body is taken care of because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Cut out the clutter. Make the sacrifice. We want to do what it takes to make improvements in this building. Do what it takes to make the improvements in your life as well because your body is the temple of the Lord. That's what God deserves. Because a great, awesome, and mighty God, we should give Him our best. We should be as pure and as holy and as right as we can be. So I just want to challenge you. Church improvement, but also temple improvement for the Lord. Let's pray. God, how much you take pleasure in and how much you take honor in, in a church that's taken care of with the temple. And even in our church here, God, that you are, I feel like, God, you're going to be blessed because we are trying to take care of this building. And I appreciate that our church is doing that. I commend them for it, and I pray that you would bless them for it. God, you know that uh, the, the blessings that we need in our own lives, you know, some people really need rain. Some people need health issues, you know, have health things to take care of. Maybe someone needs a situation at work resolved. And I just pray that, God, you would bless them in however they need, God, because we are taking care of this house. And, God, do you know that each of us who have put our trust in you for salvation is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Help us, God, to have that same kind of drive, the same kind of motivation to take care of our spiritual body as we are trying to take care of this physical church that you've allowed us to worship you in. Thank you, God, for your love and your grace. Thank you for your patience as we work together to try to get these things done. I pray for the motivation and ability to, to do this for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just stand and sing. Turn right on Jesus.